welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of February 20, 2022. Join the KCB team and help us change lives. KCB and its chapters help people with vision loss learn about resources and products that improve their daily lives. Our weekly magazine, Soundprints, website, Facebook page, newsletter, support groups, chapter meetings, and programs touch the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people with vision loss across Kentucky every year. The power of working together on the local, state, and national level is clear. Together, we continue to work for Medicare coverage of low vision devices, for accessible exercise equipment, and medical devices we can use independently without sighted help. Together, we advocate for better education, transportation, accessible voting, daily living, and job-related programs for people with vision loss. Together, we are increasing the number of movies, DVDs, and TV and streamed programs with audio description. Together we are helping to make technology, websites, and electronic books more accessible to blind and visually impaired people. If you live in Kentucky or within 25 miles of Kentucky in a surrounding state, you can help us make a difference. Take this opportunity to join KCB. Blind, visually impaired, and sighted members are welcome. Dues are only $8 for one year or $40 for a life membership. If you're already a 2022 or life member of our team, update your contact information, join one or more of KCB's chapters, make a donation to support our good work, and update your newsletter, email, sound prints, and ACB Braille Forum subscriptions. To join KCB, you can make a check payable, to the Kentucky Council of the Blind and mail with your contact information to 148 Vernon Avenue, Louisville, Kentucky, 40206, or give us a phone call to pay with your credit or debit card. The number is 502-895-4598. We look forward to you becoming part of the KCB team. Next, we bring you a reminder that beginning on Saturday, March 5, we will hold two hybrid roundabouts each month. We also will be experimenting with a new day and time for roundabout so we can find out what works best for people who can attend in person and for those who will continue to participate on Zoom. Here are the details. First, roundabout will move from Friday evening to Saturday afternoon. The virtual roundabout will meet every Saturday from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the KCB Zoom line. As usual, there will be speakers, discussion topics, trivia, bingo, and other games. The in-person roundabouts will be on the first and third Saturdays of the month at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Doors will open at 1 p.m. Between 1 and 2 p.m., we'll provide one-on-one help by request for iPhones and iPads, Braille, hobbies like needle crafts or genealogy. From 2 to 4, we'll join the Zoom line for program and fun with our virtual friends. 
And then from 4 to 6, we'll have dinner, prepared by Patty Cox, followed by a social time and bargain table as time permits. Watch the KCB email list for more details about Roundabout. Also be sure to give us feedback and your suggestions. You can call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. The following events are on the KCB Zoom line. Join them using your computer, cell phone, or landline by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 862-9889-6972. KCB Next Generation invites everyone to their event on Thursday, February 24, beginning at 7.30 p.m. The program is entitled Show Us Some Love to Your Budget. The guest speaker will be Chris Peterson from the Penny Forward podcast. Get ready for page turners coming up on Friday, February 25 at the GLCB Roundabout. Share your favorite books. Tell us about the authors you like. Hear about books that others have read. Page turners is sponsored by the Tri-State Library Users, which is a chapter of both KCB and the Library Users of America. This Friday from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana invites everyone interested in guide dogs or dogs in general to attend its next meeting on Monday, February 28 at 7 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. We'll be discussing our video project as well as other activities. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next business meeting and support call on Wednesday, March 2 at 8 p.m. Feel free to bring your questions about living with low vision. We'll discuss them as time permits and make plans for future calls. Do you hear what I hear? Please join the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind in Bowling Green on Wednesday, February 23 at 2 p.m. Central Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for their Zoom meeting. Mickey and Jewel will discuss some differences in types of headsets. What do you need when you are blind and using technology all the time? A good pair of headphones or earbuds, of course. We'll discuss a variety of different headphones and earbuds and what you should expect from them. Would you be better with Bluetooth or wired, in-ear or over-the-ear? These questions and more will be talked about and specific examples with prices and specs given. So get your ears ready and let's dive into the world of audio. Join their Zoom meeting by entering the ID 763-689-4411. The passcode, should you need it, is 25852. And here are some tips for attending Zoom meetings. Teresa's tips. In case some are new to Zoom calls, here are a few things to keep in mind so we can all enjoy our calls. As you enter a Zoom call, if there is no one speaking, you may introduce yourself. If the host is renaming or speaking with someone, please wait until they finish, then let the host know you are there. So that we can all hear what is being said, please state your name when you wish to speak. Once the host recognizes you, 
and speaks your name, you have the floor. Of course, if someone asks you a different question, there is no need to speak your name to respond. If our group is small, we may not require everyone to mute. However, if you have any background noise, please do mute as a courtesy to those on the call. If you need the commands for muting, they are as follows. On a phone, it is star 6. On a PC laptop, use Alt-A. As always, mind your manners and give everyone a chance to speak. We are all here to support and encourage each other. Each and every one of you has something to bring to the group. You may think you do not, but one small word of encouragement may be all that is needed to spark someone to improve their lives. From Teresa Eskew, Vice President of the South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind. Each year, ACB chooses three to four legislative imperatives that are of special importance to people who are blind or visually impaired. Clark Rackville, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, is our guest on Soundprints this week. He introduces us to the 2022 ACB Advocacy Imperatives, explaining why they are important and the impact they can have on our lives. Also find out how KCB is helping its members to participate in the upcoming leadership training and advocacy workshops on Zoom from March 12 to March 15. Be sure to give us a call at 502-895-4598 to register for this great conference. There are lots of ways to listen to Soundprints every week. Call the KCB office to request a free CD subscription. We'll mail one to you every week. Listen to the podcast on your Victor Reader stream or your smartphone. Search for Soundprints in the Victor Stream database or the iTunes store. Listen anytime using your landline or cell phone. Call 773-572-6318 and choose option 2 from the menu. Listen on ACB Media 1 on your computer or your Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, open ACB Media and then choose Channel 1 when given the opportunity. The schedule is Sunday at 8 p.m., Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., Wednesday at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., Thursday at 10 p.m., Friday 1 a.m., 10 a.m., and 1 p.m. As always, we welcome your comments and suggestions for future shows. Give us a call at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Page 2. Coming up in mid-March, actually March 12 through March 15, we have what used to be called the ACB Mid-Year Meetings, and they consist of the leadership training and the legislative seminar and imperatives and all the things that revolve around those issues. Each year, ACB picks imperatives that we're going to emphasize in our visits if it was in person to Capitol Hill, since it's virtual, uh, our visits virtually with Capitol Hill. And um, we have with us today Clark Rackpole, who is the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. He's based in the 
Virginia ACB office. And um, the, the legislative seminar and advocacy efforts are uh, sort of his thing that he will conduct on March 14 and 15 uh, of this mid-year meeting. From Kentucky's standpoint, because this is virtual this year, we are hoping to have as many of our members as possible participate. Last year, it was virtual, and we had a really nice group of people that participated. We had almost 30 participants last year in the various meetings for uh, the leadership and advocacy training. We would like to exceed that this year, so we're hoping that um, that everyone who hears this will uh, get involved, give us a phone call. KCB is actually uh, planning to, we are paying the registration fee for any of our members who want to participate. So uh, if, if you have not already signed up, and quite a few have, you'll want to give us a call at our office number, 8502-895-4598, and let us know that you want to participate in these ACB training sessions, and we will pay for your $20 registration fee. Um, do not call Minnesota and sign up because we're turning all of those in at one time. Now, with that said, and we'll remind you about that uh, again before the end of this sound print. So, with all of that being said, we're going to turn the time over to Clark and ask him to explain the four imperatives that ACB has chosen this year for us to emphasize in our meetings with our congressmen and senators. So, Clark... The time is yours, and and I will just say we have some really exciting imperatives this year. So looking forward to this. Well, thank you, Carla. Thank you for welcoming me back to SoundPrints, and hello, KCB. Um, also, kudos to the, the the affiliate leadership at the Kentucky Council uh, for helping everyone. You know, remove if twenty dollars is a cost barrier, that's no longer in your way to be able to sign up and enjoy the affiliates president's meetings, the legislative seminar, um, both aspects of ACB's uh, leadership conference that, as Carla said, will take place virtually. So no, no travel and no hotel rooms either. Um, that will occur March 12th to 15th. Oh, geez, it's coming up quick, Carla. We're about three weeks out before, before this <laughs> know, stuff gets started. Yes. So, And Carla asked me here, as she said today, to talk about our four legislative imperatives. Some of these issues will not be new uh, to the Sound Prince audience and certainly not new to us as people who are blind or low vision. So the, the first one, the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. The second one is the medical device non-visual accessibility act and then we have the uh, web and applications accessibility act and finally the communications and video accessibility amendments act so four legislative imperatives this year 
Um, again, all, all of these are topics that are familiar to, to our folks, so I will jump into the first one. It's a returning imperative from last year, and the bill was actually reintroduced in 2021, and that is the Exercise and Fitness for All Act. Uh, the bill numbers are S2504 in the U.S. Senate, and in the House of Representatives, the bill number is H.R. 4756. And the Exercise and Fitness for All Act is, is just how it sounds. We know that having access to accessible equipment is a barrier that prevents a lot of people from being able to work out, whether that's in a gym or a fitness center or even the equipment that we use at home. For, for those of us who are fortunate enough to have equipment at home, we know access can be a barrier. Um, and not only access for folks who want to go to gyms and fitness centers, but transportation uh, can also be a barrier. So the Exercise and Fitness for All Act would require uh, accessibility specific for people who are blind and low vision, tactile user interfaces, audio output. Um, but then because this bill addresses the, uh, you know, the class environment as well, accessible instruction and staff members who are trained on how to operate this equipment. Um, this is key to ACB's Get Up and Get Moving campaign as the advocacy arm of that campaign. It's a bill that we supported the reintroduction of last year. It is a bipartisan bill in the House. We certainly want it to be a bipartisan bill in the Senate as well. So, folks, when you're meeting with your members of Congress, the ask here is to tell them that you want them to co-sponsor the Bipartisan Exercise and Fitness for All Act, H.R. Uh, 4756 in the House, and to co-sponsor S2504 in the Senate. And I, I don't know, we, we need to come up with some sort of prize for whatever uh, whatever state affiliate or even special interest affiliate makes this bill a bipartisan bill in the U.S. Senate and gets a Republican co-sponsor to join Senator Duckworth from Illinois. The second imperative is also uh, health-related. And for those who, have, who follow the ACB resolutions and our imperatives from previous years, or those who have diabetes-related vision loss or are active in ACB Diabetics in Action, uh, you've probably heard of this bill, the uh, Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. Um, it is now a bipartisan bill in the House of Representatives as well, and that bill number is H.R. 4853. Uh, it's approaching 20 co-sponsors, originally introduced by Jan Schakowsky, Democrat from Illinois, uh, but a Republican representative from Washington State, Herrera Butler, has co-sponsored the bill as now. So we're excited that we get to tell people that it's a bipartisan piece of legislation. And as far as things go, there's, there's really no, no imperatives that I think are, are more important than this one. Um, so with the pandemic, with all of the barriers that people who are blind and low vision face when trying to access healthcare, 
um, especially folks in rural America, um, folks who don't have access to transportation, folks who need the use and the independent use of durable medical equipment and diagnostic devices, especially for them to be able to use at home and report back to their doctor or to just receive the feedback from the equipment directly. Um, this bill is needed now more than ever. So the, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act would require the Food and Drug Administration to, uh, to consider the accessibility of devices that they're approving, and it would require them to consider uh, accessibility for non-visual access for class two and three medical devices that have digital displays. So the, the FDA has a, a rating system of class one, two, and three. Um, class one are you know, items typically found in a doctor's office, right? So you're the chair you sit in when you have your blood pressure uh, tested, um, the, you know, the bed, the, the stethoscopes, that they use to, at least I hope it's a stethoscope. Who knows? I'm not a, I'm not a doctor. Um, but what they, what they use to check your heartbeat, right? Things that are, you know, non-invasive um, and it have limited use. Then class two devices, those are your more uh, diagnostic devices. So that could be uh, pulse oximeters to check your blood oxygen level. Um, it, it could be your... Uh, continuous glucose monitors, um, you know, heart rate monitors, things, things that you wear, um, things that make contact with the body and bodily fluids. And then class three devices are the more invasive devices, right? So if you're going through uh, chemo and you have a, a port or you have a, a home chemotherapy uh, system to combat cancer, if you have uh, an insulin pump. Generally, these are items that are class three devices. And it's these class two and three devices that typically have a, a user interface, a, a digital or, a, um, you know, touchscreen user interface. And it's these devices that we know this technology has the capability to be made accessible. I mean, I'm talking to you on a smartphone right now, and I'm wearing my smart, smart watch. Now, th these are pretty high-tech devices, but the technology in these digital displays, just like the fitness and exercise equipment, um, these can be made accessible. These need to be made accessible so that our friends in ACB Diabetics in Action have uh, independent opportunities to, to privately manage and control their health conditions so that they, people who have remote diagnostic equipment are able to ensure that equipment is working and recording and reporting back to their doctor. Um, and because gosh darn it, it's, it's our right. We shouldn't have to rely on sighted assistance um, and sacrifice our privacy and independence to manage our health conditions. Um, Carla, before we started recording here, you were talking about the, you know, the need of the low vision community and certainly that needs only going to grow as folks age into vision loss, right? So how can we ensure that this equipment, um, these digital displays are accessible for all of our current members and all of our future members? 
We well, think- and Clark, I, yeah. I, I think, too, that we need to be careful when we're when we are meeting and talking with people in uh, the congressional offices, when we're talking with others um, who are just saying, well, why do you need this? You know, just individuals that, sure, we know that we need the, the, um, the continuous glucose monitors and the insulin pumps and all of those things um, to be accessible and not just partial accessibility, complete accessibility uh, I got a little comment on that too, <clears throat> but you know, blind people have all these other conditions as well. Um, mm-hmm. They may have uh, need, you know, uh, heart. They have heart issues. Uh, they they'll have they may have cancer and have treatments that uh, where things need to be monitored. I mean, there's all kinds of things, and I think we need to m- make that clear that if yeah. if you don't have that kind of accessibility that you may not always have a sighted person around to watch what is going on with those things. And so um, I think it's a, it's a huge issue on the, um, when I said something about the complete accessibility uh, with a, with a continuous glucose monitor, it may read out the, um, the information on your glucose level, but you may not have access to the reports. You may not have access to um, the, uh, you know, the, the um, information that gives you uh, an, an overall look of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you get a, a, a glucose reading and you have one little um, piece of information, it's better than not having any. But it's not the whole picture. That's so, a great point. Yeah, and, and, and I think we tend to think of it as only the oh well. All I need to hear is what my is what my um, uh, glucose level is right now. But sure. you know, it'd be nice to be able to to get the information that everybody else has, and yeah. and not just it's nice, but it could be a, a a real health issue. That's right, Carla. It's not just nice; it's it's necessary. It could be life yes. or death. Um, yeah. And many of the many of those continuous glucose monitors, they'll provide you your instantaneous blood sugar level. It might uh, have an arrow to tell you whether your uh, insulin levels are spiking or crashing. But then they mm-hmm. often contain uh, up to, say, an eight-day average and graph that shows you what your glucose levels have been doing over time. So you can use that information. You know, if, if for eight days straight, your blood sugar is crashing, um, you know, before or after lunch, you can, you can learn from that. You can change your habits. You can change when you take your medication or what you're eating to be able to level out those troughs and spikes. Um, but if you don't have access to that information, it, you know, it's, but it's like those old commercials. If you don't get it, you don't get it. Not only do we need complete accessibility, like you said, but it needs to be usable as well, and it needs to be usable for everyone. Um, another great point that you made, Carla, is that it, there's not only a chance that folks who are blind or low vision could have other conditions, but it's likely that people who are blind and people who have vision loss have comorbid conditions. According to the Centers for Disease Control, um, if you have vision loss, you are at greater risk of having any of 13 
comorbid conditions, you know, greater risk than the general population. And that includes diabetes, heart disease, high cholesterol, hypertension, uh, depression, and others. So again, not only would it be nice, it, it, it is necessary um, because people who are blind, because people with vision loss are at greater risk of having these other conditions as well. Uh, and then just one more point, people who are blind, people who have vision loss, especially as our, our population ages, you could likely be a caretaker for somebody else. Um, you know, it's not that I always thought about someone who's a caretaker, you know, in my uh, <laughs> limited experience. But when I was younger, you know, it was always a, a daughter, a son uh, who took after their, their parents, right, or my grandparents. But that's not always the case. It could be spouses, brothers, sisters um, who are taking care of um, a sibling or another family member or even a friend. And it doesn't mean that you have perfect health and you're taking care of someone else. You're just the least disabled taking care or, or helping out somebody who is more disabled. So that's, an, that's another reason. Even if not, it's an older person um, who you are assisting. You, know, you could be a parent with a disability. And you need access to these tools, these medical equipment to help your children manage their conditions as well. So there, there's a lot of reasons and there's a lot of need to have access to this information available on these class two and three uh, medical devices with digital displays. And that's, that's what working on HR 4853 will allow. Um, and I'll also add, this isn't the first time I'll say this, but I'll also add that this is not an ACB priority. Uh, this is not an NFB priority. Both organizations are supporting this legislation. Both organizations have been working at this for years. Uh, you know, not always in, in lockstep with one another, but taking different approaches to try to move this issue forward. Uh, it was NFB that was you know, had the breakthrough of getting this bill introduced last year. And again, it's, we know that our members need this bill passed just like they know their members need this bill passed and that this will benefit the broader community as a whole. So this bill, um, the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act, is an imperative for both organizations. So they did a great job getting additional co-sponsors at their D.C. meetings um, at the beginning of February, and we will build on that success and carry this bill forward here in March. Sounds really good. That, that, that's a big positive. And, you know, when you go up there to the Hill for years, they've said, well, now, if you both could come and talk about a bill, we would, we would really like that because then we'd know what we really needed to do. So they have the opportunity on two imperatives this year, and uh, so we'll see where they go with this. This, I mean, this one is is one that um, can certainly not only uh, increase the health benefits to of of people who have the you know conditions that need the devices, but uh, it can also have uh, many economic benefits because. The more you can monitor yourself, the more you can do for yourself, the less you need to be dependent on 
other on agencies or services or even, you know, be in uh, some facility or something just because you can't monitor what you need to monitor. So it can have a huge positive impact on uh, cutting, uh, ultimately cutting some health care costs. Absolutely. So, in Carla, our third legislative imperative is there's these last two, there's no bills introduced yet. So, I wish I could give you a bill number like the, the Exercise and Fitness for All Act and the Medical Device Non-Visual Accessibility Act. Now, uh, we find it's always easier, and I'm sure your listeners do too, when you can go up there and you know, pound the pavement and say, co-sponsor this bill or pass this bill and give them a number. It just makes things a whole lot easier. Um, well, we're working towards that on these last two, and we're not quite there yet. So the first is the Website and Application Accessibility Act. Um, this There's no bill that's been introduced, uh, but we would like there to be. And this legislation, uh, Congress would tell the federal government that they need to finally make website accessibility standards, enforceable standards for accessibility of websites, applications, you know, online services, and platforms. Uh, we're, we're taking multiple approaches to this issue, uh, but we think that if Congress was able to introduce legislation and pass legislation, that would give clear authority, more clear authority, to the federal government, that's the Department of Justice and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, uh, have to promulgate regulations and enforce those regulations. This, this would have two effects. It would clearly state that the government has the authority to enforce accessibility. That would provide a clear path forward um, in standards for all of us who need to have information accessible online. It would tell the courts, which have not always ruled the same way in, the, in different parts of the country, that the federal government has the authority to enforce um, website and application accessibility. But it would also give some certainty to businesses, uh, whether those are retail locations, credit unions, uh, stores, small businesses, um, and even local and municipal government websites, that these sites need to be made accessible. We think that the ADA already covers websites on the Internet. Um, but again, the, the Department of Justice has not completed a, a rulemaking in this regard. They started one in 2011. Um, it got put on the shelf and, you know, taken off the docket in 2017. Uh, but we think it's, it's important to move forward on this issue, you know, especially due to the pandemic. It's become more clear than ever that you know, the ADA covers the built environment. Well, now we have two built environments. There's mm -hmm. the, the physical structures, you know, buildings, ramps, curb cuts, uh, you know, public transportation stations, things like that that are in our built environment. But now we have a virtual built environment. Uh, the virtual built environment that lets you 
order from grocery stores, pharmacies, and conduct schooling and employment and healthcare services and even voting online. You know, it's, it's not that it's one or the other, it's both. And certainly over the last year when the, the physical built environment shut down, uh, many folks became reliant on this virtual built environment. Um, and that this is where we need the regulations to follow. You know, the, the Department of Justice would never have enforced accessibility in the physical built environment by bringing settlements building by building, right? Just working their right. way through, through downtown, store by store. Yeah. No, yeah. they they promulgated and passed regulations. They've enforced those regulations, and those regulations provided a clear path forward for everyone. But right now in the virtual built environment, we're going store by store. We're going Domino's to Winn-Dixie, you know, to Hy-Vee and Kroger and, and everywhere else. Um, and that's, that's not effective. That's not changing behavior. And that's, that's what we need regulations from the Department of Justice and EEOC to do. We need to ensure that all of our students have access to remote learning and e-learning platforms, that everyone who is employed has equal access to the services and benefits and tools and resources available to all other colleagues in the workplace. And we, we need to ensure that, uh, much like throughout this pandemic, that people with disabilities have equal access to uh, electronic health records, patient portals, telemedicine, uh, COVID testing and vaccine websites. So that's, that's what we're working towards. We need to, unfortunately, again, no bill number, but we need to tell Congress to support legislation that would create a strong uh, functional definition of accessibility and that any legislation should not require you know, notifying an entity that they're violating their civil rights before you can pursue uh, you know, civil action um, in this case. I think your, your point about going store by store online is a really uh, an, an excellent point. And um, the drawing of the parallel with making physical stores accessible one by one, just going down the street and working from one to the other. Uh, we can both think of instances where uh, a court, for example, has um, one court has has uh, you know found in favor of one of one side, another has said, "Oh no, no, um, accessibility isn't covered on on websites, isn't covered under the ADA uh, because." It didn't exist back when the ADA was passed. It was passed and signed in 1990, and we didn't have the kinds of online things that we have today. So, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, that's not covered. Just because we didn't have a particular kind of building when um, the ADA was passed, something new is built doesn't mean that it's not covered. In fact, it is covered. So, um I think that's really an excellent point, and it is frustrating when you're trying to do, um, you know, different things and you just can't because you're missing, 
you're missing a button or or you can't have access to certain information that you need in order to continue on a website. So, you know, to us, that is an obvious thing. But unfortunately, it, it's not obvious to a lot of people. So this, this bill is, this is really, really, really important. Yes. And then our fourth imperative, uh, again, another issue that's no stranger to ACB and our members. Um, so in 2010, ACB led the passage of the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. And among other things, the CVAA um, reinstated the Federal Communication Commission's uh, rules for audio description on broadcast television and for the top five uh, you know, non-broadcast programmers, you know, the, the cable channels. Mm -hmm. um, it also required accessible user interfaces for video uh, playback and control and other digital apparatuses and required accessible uh, advanced communication services. So uh, two-way text communication and two-way audio communication, as well as uh, other things like uh, accessible wireless phones and mobile web browsers. Um, but there are some, some limits to the CVAA and what it can do. And, and for example, the audio description requirements for, for the, the top 60 uh, local broadcast designated market areas or DMAs. Uh, now, I believe it's up to 70 or 80, but there are over 200 broadcast designated market areas. Um, so we think that all of these market areas should be required to pass through audio description. They're not having to create the audio description. They're just passing it through. And they already have the technology to do this because it's the same technology used to pass through uh, accessible emergency alerts. So that, that's one aspect of, the, of the, the law that we're looking to update. Another is that audio description applies to broadcast television as well as the paid TV services that you get from your, uh, your telephone company, your cable company, or a satellite company. But it does not apply to your online you know, internet protocol delivered streaming services, your Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, uh, Apple TV, LMNOP Plus. And all of those services are becoming more prominent than ever. So, and through ACB's advocacy, we've been able to get audio description on a lot of those services, but there's still many more out there that don't have audio description. So we are looking to modernize the CVAA. We're looking for a Communications Video Accessibility Amendments Act, so a CVAAA. Uh, that's the you know it's better, Carla. We went from two to three A's. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's right. And, yeah. So this would require all broadcast market areas to pass through audio description, and it would. Uh, bring audio description to it a more level field with what our deaf and hard of hearing compatriots enjoy with closed captioning. So all video content 
would need to be audio described, whether that's broadcast, on cable, or streaming online. In addition, uh, we would also we're also seeking an update to the accessible user interface requirements so that not only is audio description available online, but there are requirements in place so that we have the ability to independently access that content and that information with audio description. And then finally, uh, I mentioned advanced communication services, uh, text and audio communications. Well, the, the Federal Communications Commission has an unfinished rulemaking um, dealing with interoperable video communication services. Um, so we're asking them to finally to define that term, to drop the term interoperable, um, because that harkens back to the, you know, the interconnection of uh, relay services for people who are deaf and hard of hearing. It doesn't really apply to um, Internet-delivered video communication services. So much like we have, we would like video to be included in advanced communication services. All this to say that all of the platforms that we know and use online um, that have video components to them, those need to be made accessible, and the FCC should have a, a definition and regulations in place to require accessibility for video communication services, whether that's Zoom that we use in the ECB community events or its platforms used in the workplace for education, or here we go again, Carla, for telehealth services. Yes, and a lot of these things are all intertwined. This is a yeah. great example of how things have changed. This bill was passed initially in 2010, and um, I, I don't know when, uh, you know, some of the streaming services had begun in various ways by that time, but there was, by, there was no comparison of the number of, of things being streamed in 2010 that are happening today. And so, um, you know, the CVAA in 2010, you, you could have never really envisioned how many, how huge that, uh, that the streaming was going to become. TV has almost taken a second, a back seat to what's out there on the, um, on the internet. And so this, you know, this really needs to um, expand the uh, um, the things that are in the CDAA to to talk about today. That the same thing is true in that uh, web accessibility imperative. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, we were talking about how a lot of that didn't exist in 1990 when the ADA was passed, and yet it certainly does now. And so. Um, sometimes you just, it, it's like Clark, advocacy is never done. <laughs> it's just <laughs> Don't never I done. know it. <laughs> because the minute that you have one thing resolved, there's something else that needs to be updated or changed mm -hmm. or some new term come along. Or as you were just talking about a term that needs to be dropped because um, it, it, it doesn't cover the things that needs to cover now. So that advocacy is just never, you're just never finished. There's, you have a secure, uh, 
you have a secure position as far as the need for your job. It will never be over. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it's something that ACB and our members uh, do quite well. So things <laughs> to, to keep in mind for the Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act. Like Carla said, mm -hmm. it was passed in 2010. Netflix launched House of Cards as their first uh, direct-to-streaming or streaming-only show in 2013. Mm -hmm. So just to give you a sense of how much things changed in just three years. Um, in addition to that, oh man, where was I going with this, Carla? Oh, yeah. Uh, for <laughs> uh, just like anyone else, we people with people who are blind, people with low vision, we we don't care when or how we watch something. We just want to turn it on and watch it and watch it with audio description just mm -hmm. like everyone else. And not have to struggle to make it work. Exactly. And to have an accurate listing of what is audio described and where to find it. And yes. then if it doesn't work, to have a direct point of contact so that we can troubleshoot the issue. Uh, none of these things are required right now. Some networks do them better than others. But time and time again, we hear that even for uh, folks in the broadcast and cable business of delivering video content, that the audio description project website is the resource that they use to determine whether or not something has audio description. And mm -hmm. that, that, that should not be the case. We should have reliable information uh, available, just like all other channel listings, that accurately displays whether or not something has closed captioning and whether something has audio description. So, Clark, I, I answer the phones for uh, the, the KCB office number, and I get a lot of calls from people who are losing their vision. And as you might imagine, a number of them are elderly, and so, uh, and I'll say, well, what do you like to do? Well, I really don't do a whole lot. Um, I, I do watch TV a lot, but uh, now I can't, I can't really see it, so I turn the TV on when I get up in the morning, but I'm real frustrated because I can't tell what's happening. Oh, do you know about audio description? Well, no, and so I'll tell them about it. Well, how do I find it? You know what? I cannot give them a single answer. Um, just one answer. Here's where you go to find out if your favorite um, show is described. Now, I tell them about our ADP site, uh, the ACB website, and that's fine, except that a lot of these people do not have someone to help them look things up. And even if they did, they can't write down the times. How nice it would be if there were a way. I mean, they could find out when other things are on, um, just getting the thing to work sometimes is a huge struggle. And I don't watch a lot of TV. I am not a TV person. Um, I'm not a video person. I don't watch anything that streams. So, you know, all that is not my thing. But last summer at the convention, the Olympics were coming on. And I... I, I you know, ACB had as the closing, um, as the closing prime time on Friday night, uh, had the opening ceremonies for the Olympics. 
And I decided I wanted to watch them, how cool that would be, because I love the Olympics. And so I'm trying to get to the description, and finally I did. But it was a huge struggle. And all this time in the audio description, it should not be. So um, I, 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 this, this is just real important, not only uh, probably less for me than for all these people I talk to um, mm-hmm. who say, well, I'm, I'm 85 and I don't really have anything much that I like to do, but I sure would like to be able to enjoy my favorite TV programs. Absolutely, and, and we need to ensure that not only do, do all of those folks have access to audio description, whether it's over the air or cable, but certainly right. as technology shifts to more things delivered online and over the Internet, we need these requirements to keep pace so that we don't have that, that gap of accessibility as we yes. move to the online environment. Something written in, which will be – which is – going to be difficult to do because you have to kind of try to be a, um, you know, kind of a stargazer, actually, and figure out what might come down the pike. But there needs to be something that will build in the, um, the an update or a, a means by which to update. So you don't have to go back and get new, get, get new uh, regulations or whatever every time there's a change. Well, I, I, we're focused on this time right now, but hopefully we can try to future-proof this as much as possible. But what, right. what we really need everyone to do is just, uh, you know, tell tell your personal story when you're doing these mm-hmm. Hill meetings, whether that's with KCB or other affiliates. Um, let mm-hmm. them know what it would mean to you in, in your local area, on your local broadcast station, to have audio description available. Well, you know, what it would mean to you to have equal access to websites and online services and video communications tools in the classroom, in the workplace, and for, uh, you know, telehealth and telemedicine with your healthcare providers. And, uh, and please urge them to support the website and, and application accessibility act, as well as urge them to support the introduction of the Communications and Video Accessibility Amendments Act. Well said. And, Clark, I want to thank you for being here, taking the time today to talk to us about the, um, about the imperatives and about the importance of all of these bills. And just one last thing, I, I want to emphasize that if you're out there and you say, gee, I'd like to participate in this, but, uh, but I'm not really sure, uh, that I, I don't know how to do that. I've never done it before. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're having, uh, with KCB, we are going to have sessions that will let you practice, um, working with us to do these things. Um, Patty Cox is the chair of our advocacy committee. And she has been, she's done the Hill thing several times, and um, she is uh, urging everyone who wants to participate, uh, whether you want to listen to four days of, the, of our sessions or not, um, 
everyone in KCB, we want to get people from all parts of the state to take part in our activities. So please give us a phone call. Let us know that you'd like to, to, to be part of this again or that you would like to try it out for the first time. We, uh, we would very much appreciate everyone's participation and we look forward to hearing from many of you. Our office number again is 502-895-4598 and Clark, just thanks so much for all you do. You're doing a great job. And Carla, thank you. Thank you to Sound Prince and KCB. And I hope you all can beat that record that you sent la- that you set last year of having 30 folks participate in the leadership conference and your Hill meetings. Let's try to get up to 35 or 40 this year. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.